It has been said that the last thing the world needs is another podcast. But as a 17-year-old with a bag full of microphones and an insatiable thirst for knowledge, I can't help but disagree. My name is Tristan Rendell, and this is my podcast. Using the power of microphones to convince interesting people to talk with me, join me as I attempt to make sense of our crazy world, one conversation at a time. This podcast will feature guests that I've arbitrarily deemed interesting. From dirtbags, to entrepreneurs, to politicians, to permaculture enthusiasts, and more. Tune in to follow along on my journey, and to find out what secrets are uncovered, what understanding is gained, and what this podcast becomes. Without further ado, this is The Tristan Rendell Show. All seriousness aside, this podcast really is just an excuse for me to talk to interesting people. Simply put, I need a way to get cool people to sit down and talk with me for an hour, and you need something to fill up with your ear holes. So hopefully we can work something out. My first podcast is with Paige Whitehead, the kick-ass biohacker who is also my next door neighbor. I could not have asked for a better person to kick this thing off with, and I am super grateful that Paige was willing to come on. Paige is the founder of Nyoka Design Labs, a biotech startup making bioluminescent glow sticks that are compostable and good for the earth. She has a degree in microbiology and environmental studies at the University of Victoria, and has worked in labs across the world, and has even given a presentation on her work at the MIT Media Labs. I know Paige through Make It's Own, my dad's makerspace, or shared workshop for those not in the know, running inside a series of storage lockers. Nyoka Design Labs is currently located within the makerspace, so I've gotten to know her a bit just being in the same building. Paige was kind enough to help me with the sterile lab technique while I was growing some mushrooms and answer any bio questions I've been able to come up with. Now the first few minutes of the podcast are a little slow, and I start mid-sentence. Now I was hoping to cut out more of them, but it ended up meaning missing too many important details, so please just bear with me, I promise it gets better after the first few minutes. Something for me to work on next time. Without further ado, episode one. Well, yeah, I mean, why don't you tell us about what you were working on earlier today? Cool, yeah. Uh, so just today, I finished doing the final quality checks on our Kickstarter rewards for our uh, light wand, the Nyoka light wand, which is the world's first earth-friendly glow stick that's powered with bioluminescent enzymes. Well, there you go. I feel like we should do, I'm going to have an intro before this, but we should do sure. a proper introduction. So yeah, um, we're both re- recording this thing in a storage locker just to set like a visual scene. We've got, I don't know how I would best describe it. Maybe like kind of almost a salium esque because it's all white brick walls painted white. And then we've got like some towels thrown up in the corner to in theory dampen the echo. <laughs> we've got like a folding table. Paige is on a bean bag. I'm on a rolling chair. Then like a red cart with a bunch of computers mounted to it and some random keyboards for the hell of it. <laughs> and this is our amazing storage locker recording studio that we've got going. It's really good considering I mean, compared this... to other storage locker uh, recording studios I've seen. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Paige is our resident storage locker recording studio expert. <laughs> so speaking of which, I met Paige um, because I started growing some mushrooms and I live above um the make it zone which is a maker space my dad runs and Paige rents out space yeah which is definitely not just a storage locker <laughs> from the make it zone 
and has her crazy enterprise running from there. Yeah, like it ca- was it was a storage locker uh, before I moved in. <laughs> it's far too pretty to be yeah, considered a storage now locker. It, now I've done a, I've done a little bit of improving. The very sure. is a storage locker plus. It's got perks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, major perks. So yeah, yeah, we were just talking about how you were working on some glow wands you're making, mm-hmm. or sorry, glow sticks, <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, I can give the kind of rundown. Yeah, go for it. Like, this is kind of my standard, like, spiel on (laughs) glow sticks, which, like, and when I first started working on this project, I didn't know at that time how bad glow sticks actually are. And I really just wanted to see if it was possible to make light with bioluminescence. And, you know, I've, I've gone to so many music festivals and I've definitely used standard glow sticks myself. So knowing about uh, standard glow sticks and then being a bit of a biotech nerd, I was like, there's got to be a way that we can do this. And that was years ago now. And that's why it's so cool because from literally like just the idea to now has been probably five years. So it's taken quite a while, but that's why it was such a big milestone to ship out the uh, Kickstarter rewards today. And yeah, to go back to why standard glow sticks are so bad. Um, so I've found out, you know, I ended up doing a lot of research on them um, to kind of build out the reasons why this uh, bioluminescent glow stick is so much better and as well to kind of, you know, prove to all the programs that I'm uh, applying for, for like accelerators and things like that, that they should really take a chance, you know, and um, it'd be actually a good choice to support this idea. And so part of, you know, building out your business case is doing market research. And from the get-go, I was so shocked that over 500 million, you know, standard glow sticks are made every year. And that's, that's quite a conservative estimate as well. And, you know, we all know now that single-use uh, plastic items, you know, are something that should be phased out. And so glow sticks definitely fall in that category. They're only ever used once and they're made out of plastic. And then beyond that, uh, the chemicals inside have actually been found to be cytotoxic, which means that it can actually kill cells and stop them from reproducing, as well as genotoxic, which means that they actually can cause genetic mutations. So in the DNA, they'll actually... um, destroy some of the DNA strands. So both of those things are are a huge issue. And I was really shocked when I read these studies that had actually found that from glow sticks, they had kind of saved and taken from the environment into the lab and then tested those. And so what happens if you uh, throw a glow stick out and leave it, you know, on the ground or it enters a landfill? there's all of these side reactions that occur because the chemicals that are inside standard glow sticks are very reactive. And those... Well, that makes sense because they have to be to Yeah, yeah. And I'll go into that too because there's some really neat uh, principles of green chemistry that using um, bioluminescence follows. Paige has got a big smile on her face. Obviously, (laughs) there's some interest there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so, you know, the the components in the standard glow stick have to be super reactive because to produce light, you actually have to break a chemical bond. And that's really hard to do. It takes quite a bit of effort to break that chemical bond to produce light. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not quite. (laughs) Yeah, well, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think music but festivals would be is, a little It's different. like a teeny little explosion, basically. Um, and so, 
yeah, you need really intense chemicals to do that or uh, an enzyme, which is what the light wand uses. And it's a biological catalyst where instead of needing two chemicals that kind of are battling it out, you use this tiny little machine, this like microscopic little protein. And that is uh, the tool that we use to produce light in the bioluminescent light wand and in all bioluminescent reactions. Yeah, so that was a lot to take in. <laughs> so, yeah, that kind of meandered a bit. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, that's the whole point. But like, I see, I think everyone knows you now as this crazy biohacker lady who I happen to know living in like a storage locker yeah, below my yeah. house. Um, <laughs> you're the closest thing I have to a neighbor. And I got to say, yeah. you're better than any real neighbor. So, thank you. <laughs> um, how the heck did you get into all this? Like, how did you go from ordinary person walking around doing your ordinary thing to waking up one day or I guess I don't know coming to I don't know what you do at yeah. music festivals and deciding <laughs> yeah, yeah. to take over the glow stick industry like <laughs> or even just get into biohacking like yeah it's not exactly the most run-of-the-mill career path <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> definitely not um it's, you know, it, it's something that happens over time. You know, you don't even realize that you're going down a like wild and winding path. And then you look back and you're like, okay, no, I, I see how the, all the choices like led up to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the first like big moments for me uh, was a really powerful moment in my microbiology degree program, which I did at the University of Victoria. And... It basically just really actually rocked my worldview where I did a combined degree in microbiology and environmental studies. And this is kind of going to go a little bit into like GMOs and like biotech, because I know that like from what I'm from my perspective, um, sustainable biotechnology is one of the most promising technologies we have to make our technology more sustainable and um, less toxic on our planet. And so that's kind of the foundational like like mantra or like ethos that I use when I interact with like the work that I do and thinking about biotechnology. You know, that's not to say that people haven't used it in ways that are definitely harmful for the planet, but I also see it yeah. as a way that um, like there's so much potential. And in early in my degree, we were learning about this test called the AIMS test, which is how you test for compounds that cause, you know, genetic mutations. And this is what rocked my world and made me like really kind of respect the process of science because they found in the Ames test that organic plants actually had um, more activity on this Ames test than plants that had been basically produced with the use of pesticides. So huh. what that seemed to say was that plants um, that were grown organically actually might be like more dangerous to humans because it had more activity on this Ames test. And, you know, that just rocked my world because I think it's, it really started to tease apart some of the complexities that are at play when you're looking at like evolution and good or bad or good for the environment and bad for the environment. And so, you know, I'm definitely not saying that pesticides are good or, or healthy because I was gonna say, I'm never going to look at no, my organic on, carrots the same. Because I think I'm going to have to start spraying pesticides. No, on them just to be that's safe. the opposite. <laughs> I would say somebody like, get me a bottle of Agent Orange. <laughs> okay, this is going this we'll is going a whole new direction now. <laughs> um, but basically, I still remember in that moment just being like, wait, th this is so much more complex because 
what actually happens is that plants who aren't grown with the use of pesticides have to develop a stronger immune system. So they're like a hardier plant than the plants that we kind of like coddle basically and prevent from coming into contact with any harmful like bugs or pests that maybe would, you know, run into an organic plant and be like eliminated. But so there's all these complexities and Um, I know that story really came to mind because it was one of those kind of world rocking moments for me where I really wanted to, that really made me lean into science and be like, we can actually understand things at a level that's beyond intuitive, um, using the scientific method. And so I think that for me was one of my, like, come to science, like young (laughs) one, like (laughs) nothing will make as much sense, but like, it will be incredible. And, you know, I do want to say that with that like anecdote that using pesticides, especially like glyphosate on, on crops is terrible for the environment and it's ruining our soil. But that example, I think just shows like the complexity and also just how we can't say, you know, that something is necessarily a hundred percent good or bad. And also that some of our like intuitive guesses around, Um, like safety and just our understanding of nature is so much more nuanced than um, I think you would kind of imagine at the beginning. And so I went through so many moments like that during my degree and, you know, being someone who's always been more of an environmentalist at heart, that was a moment for me that made me want to understand things at a much deeper level. And that's kind of where biotech comes in because you're actually working on the like fundamental language of life, basically like working with DNA. And then that's kind of a long and windy road, but why I wanted (laughs) to do biotech at all, because I wanted to understand a little bit more like what was up basically. And then I've been um, really fortunate. So one of the most amazing experiences after I started working on this project is I just started to reach out to scientists and to labs that were doing work that I wanted to learn more about. And so I would say to anyone who even has an idea to start talking to people about it and, you know, it might be scary and you're going to show everyone that like, you know, you don't know much and are like definitely have a student mindset because you learn so much more that way. And so I started reaching out to like bioluminescent researchers. I went to Puerto Rico for a summer and I studied bioluminescence around a bioluminescent bay. And I ended up finding out about this company that developed bioluminescence, um, where it was actually active outside of a cell. So it's just an enzyme that we're actually now using in the light wand rather than like a living organism, for example. And I think for me, like learning about that technology, it's called like a cell-free like enzyme. Um, That for me, I'm like, this is, this is the coolest (laughs) <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't swear on here, but <laughs> you can absolutely swear. Okay, okay. Um, just because not that kind of podcast. This is... <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, maybe you shouldn't swear. I mean, you're going a little corporate, so <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> I mean, luckily we can we can bleep it out if you want. But... Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Now I know that the rules for this there are podcast absolutely. Are... It's like PG we'll thirteen. <laughs> oh, it's 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 going straight. Maybe fourteen A. Like. <laughs> Maybe not this episode, but (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah. And so cell-free like enzyme technology is just phenomenal because as I kind of talked about before, it's a way that you can catalyze really important reactions without needing 
as intense, like harsh reactive goals. And so there's so many amazing examples of companies and researchers that are working on, on cell-free technologies to produce compounds that are super helpful, but also are biodegradable and are not persistent in the environment. They biodegrade and that ends up creating a lot less toxicity um, and a lot less toxic load for our planet to somehow handle. So one example I love to use is actually there is a, a cell-free like enzyme company and they work in antimicrobial compounds. So yeah. instead of using a really harsh chemical that, you know, works once and creates more um, like resistant bacteria and when it enters the environment, it's actually an enzyme. And so, you know, it, it's active for the time that you kind of give it the food and the fuel it needs to work. But then as soon as it's out of that environment, then it just biodegrades, uh, just like any other living system. And so you end up creating the same type of reaction that you get with these really like strong chemicals, but they don't persist in the environment and it ends up, you know, just being much more healthy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I feel like if I was a sci-fi writer, I'd really be taking some notes here, just getting some great ideas. <laughs> because when you say it's an organism that fight, it almost sounds like you're describing something which fights for us. But my brain just goes straight to like Resident Evil <laughs> gone wrong, <laughs> yeah, going a little too well, far. Like, I think there's a little bit of fear that comes with biotechnology. I like, mean, it is one a, of those I think that's a normal response. Like, <laughs> if you mess up. I mean, I've heard stories from people down the grapevine of like, labs and stuff and i mean especially with coronavirus going on yeah about how we're only like one slip up away from a really scary pandemic and some i mean crazy, like it's happened <laughs> yeah labs is, well you say it's happened what do you mean like oh just the pandemic has happened oh yeah <laughs> yeah well yeah are there any like i'm not sure what the right word would be but are there any like um case studies or anything they use in the bio world of what mm. not to do as a bio company like beyond just generally pointing fingers at Monsanto and some of the other bigger <laughs> yeah. companies spraying out their pesticides everywhere. Like I honestly think one of the best kind of PR moves for companies like Monsanto has to been on like spreading fear about like the lone biohacker who's, you know, out for <laughs> revenge because the chances of that happening are so low. And, you know, I'm part of a number of like biotech and more biohacking groups and there's a lot of care in that community around, you know, preventing things like that from happening. So there's voluntary um, kind of agencies and boards that you can actually submit your experiments to for review. Um, there's this whole community around it. And it's a pretty small worldwide community. It's not very many people who get super hardcore into like biohacking. Um, but yeah, to go back to that, just just the resources that you need or that you may need to like really cause a problem would be something that only like a corporation or a huge initiative would have. And so when you look at the environmental damage and the damage that has been done to like humans and our health as well by like large corporations compared to the very, very small risk of a lone biohacker, you know, out for for So we're still pointing our fingers like, at Monsanto. Oh sadly. yeah. I'm pointing all the fingers at Monsanto. I think Monsanto like, might have to get a PR <laughs> campaign and really yeah. 
Be careful because before long, we'll be smearing you as the lone biohacker, <laughs> <laughs> the glow stick industry. I mean, you're, come I think at you're me. giving them ideas. They're going to be like, yeah. you don't know what's in those enzymes. <laughs> Our chemicals, yeah. we know the damage they do. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And they, like, these companies know and. Um, you know, that's something that I take really seriously, like getting into new technology. I would say I always operate on a more like precautionary principle where I like to get as much data as we possibly can with the tests that we have available to us, you know, in the 21st century and use that to the best of our ability. Cause there's always that level of uncertainty when you're like pushing innovation where, you know, you know as much as you possibly can, but there's still so much that we have left to learn and beyond that, like understand like deeply what it all means. And so that's always kind of the risk that is inherent with, you know, developing new technologies. Yeah. Well, I think we've seen that quite a bit in recent years with the whole ethos of the Silicon Valley world being move fast and break stuff. Forgive me for <laughs> forgetting who coined that, but it's very been true with like Facebook and stuff. And now with all the recent Zuckerberg court cases and stuff of him yeah. <laughs> and his amazing water drinking skills. <laughs> that lizard man. <laughs> Allegedly, of course. <laughs> yeah, I don't but, know if like anything that was like a real person there or like what I was mean, going on. Something was up there. Allegedly, of course. <laughs> Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> wink, 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 wink. <laughs> but I'm really curious if you have any, like you've gone from an idea and then obviously you've had to pitch it looks like you were doing some stuff at nic with that and like on your website i saw that you were pitching to like a pitch fest they had there yeah and so slowly you got more and more stamps of approval by people yeah. and hopefully more funding along the way too but now you've gotten to a point where you're you're just shipping out your first kickstarter batch mm-hmm. what have you seen so far of like the silicon valley kind of startup world because i'm like super type. curious as like your activist DIY ethic self, how you're dealing with the pressures of that kind of world. Yeah. You know what? It's it's getting better and better because I've gotten more into the kind of business space where I really only speak and go to like pitches and competitions where people have a social enterprise um, kind of model and mindset. So the first couple of years where I was less uh, like targeted around where I spoke and what events I went to. It was horrible because I remember going to this one summit and it was called like a tech summit. And I thought it would be this awesome, like party with nerds, just like (laughs) talking about cool technology and almost 90% of people there were like wearing a suit and it was very corporate. And I just was like very turned off by the whole thing. (laughs) Like, what are, what is this? But I also have learned, um, you know, how important like that, like, like the whole ecosystem that supports ideas is necessary as much as, you know, it's a little bit less exciting. Like we do need people who are like lawyers and like working in finance, you know, to like help move things along. Yeah. So it's like, (laughs) like a necessary evil, I would say. And there's, there's, there's cool people everywhere. Um, but yeah, I would say that the, the, there was a super huge culture shock the first couple of years where I was not comfortable even thinking about what I was doing as a business. Uh, again, because I came at it from that very like altruistic kind of like naive mindset where I was like, I just want to make something that would be, you know, better for our planet. Like, let's just start there as ground zero. Um, and, you know, not everyone really even cares or responds to that. 
And also the people who kind of know what's up are like, yeah, that's great. Like, doesn't everyone want to do that? Like, let's see what numbers you have. Like, let's see how much you've developed your idea. Like, Show do you actually know people money. would buy it? You know, and so I've, I've learned a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, imagine going into anything corporate or especially the startup world and the whole venture capital thing and having an ethical compass definitely makes things a whole level harder. Although I've heard that people are doing it. So it's awesome mm. to hear that you're holding out throughout all that yeah like did you have anybody make you offers or anything like or what would when you say it like it just didn't feel right to you mm -hmm. was it just the offers people were making or what about it was i think for me it was and i'm like i'm very sensitive to kind of people's energy and i always have been and in that environment it just felt so um like inhumane it was it was really just you know hardcore business uh mindset and i felt like instead of supporting new ideas there was a lot of just you know like unsupportive competition so you know competition is great like that's how like neat things happen for sure but there's a level of supportive competition which is healthy and then there's the level of you know like unhealthy competition <laughs> and i think i just got a little heavy dose of that um when i was starting out and also you know being like pretty young and pretty new and definitely not coming from a business background i think that definitely didn't exactly make me stand out as someone who like was very serious in that environment as well so that's something i've definitely learned um more about just about how to show up a like in the in the communities that will support you and also how to show up prepared so that when you do show up you know you'll be taken seriously enough that you'll get the connections and the growth that you want out of like the networking process <laughs> that is kind of a sad one how much appearances and wearing a suit or shining your shoes or well having heels yeah, and all that and kind of shows up in the business world like, it really does show up and it's something that i've like struggle to navigate like a few years ago i had like a fully shaved head and <sighs> that's how i showed up first at the innovation center at ufic <laughs> like a shaved head and this kind of like punk vest that was like black and had a ton of pockets and like i don't know i was very different than i am now i think that i've i've Kind I of love that visual though. It's just like <laughs> full on punk. I, I was like, this <laughs> is what I'm like doing. Strolling in with like a bunch of crazy glowing glow sticks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A bunch of enzymes everywhere. Uh, yeah, I, I just... wish that was how I showed up. Like, I, I was not as confident either. Like at that time, so on one level, I was like kind of more alternative, like shaved head. And on the other hand, I was super nervous and way out of my comfort zone and just really wanted to see this idea happen. So it was very challenging personally. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, and that's saying that, that's saying it lightly. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like getting up on stage for the first time and like pitching people stuff for an idea, especially when it's like a crowd you've, I can't imagine that for a bunch of people who are half the crowd is actively gunning to steal your idea <laughs> somehow grind you into a profit oh, yeah. or outcompete you <laughs> to get the other people to be then be grounded <laughs> to a profit so yeah how have you found finding other communities in the business world like i've you've told me about um, a startup incubator that you're hoping to get into mm -hmm. that works with like products similar to what you're doing like yeah. hardware stuff yeah is there a community for diy sorry not diy like biohacking startups. I don't yeah. even know if there's enough biohacking startups out there <laughs> to even make that a thing, but 
Yeah, no, there there is. And I wouldn't say it's just for startups, but it's for kind of people who have that mindset and are working in spaces that don't quite fit into academia or industry. Uh, maybe you're starting a new idea. Maybe, um, you know, for me, I like I took time off of school when I was when I was working on this. And so a lot of this I have developed on my own. And that is the like biohacker kind of ethos where you figure it out, you do what you have to do, you work with what you have. And there's this amazing community called the Global Global Community Bio Summit. And that was probably the most transformational experience of my life, especially regarding this project, because like it's at MIT, you know, like it's at the MIT Media Labs. <laughs> yeah. And so getting accepted to attend and be part of that community uh, just rocked my whole world. And I was so nervous, like <laughs> going there. Um, you Did know, you show up with a shaved head? Punk, <laughs> no, at that point, at all? that point, <laughs> growing out for a little bit. Um, but I was just, I was just so, um, like bowled over being there because I've been following, you know, the amazing work, like the, the world-class work that comes out of this, you know, well-regarded, like, like top, top university. And so being able to go there and, and meet people and connect and share ideas, it gave me so much confidence, like confidence that I you know, was actually like doing really good work and that could be recognized. And that I also had a community of people who were like me around the world, because if you are into niche topics, you probably aren't going to be able just to go down to like the local bar and meet someone who will like be your like best friend, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like your community that you can go to for support on the like very complex and unique challenges that you may have, you know, being in more of a niche community. And so going there, now I have friends all over the world who now, you know, on my Facebook feed, I love it because there's like science experiments and like cool biohacking events and people doing really creative science and, and amazing startups. And now that is my community, you know, and it was almost like, in one way, it was like the whole world opened to like a whole new level. And then on another world, it kind of felt like, like I was kind of coming home too in that way. And like, I've, I've definitely stayed in touch with a number of amazing people from that network. And it's just, it's just amazing because I think if you do have, you know, weird and wild ideas, then you probably will have to like really work to find those people. Um, you know, even at university, my biotech professor, where I was really getting into biotech when I came to them with some ideas around this project before I had even done really too much work on it. They were just like, oh, like that, that, that's not possible. You know, that's such a bummer. Yeah, it was a bummer. Like at the yeah. time it was a huge bummer. Cause I was like, oh, maybe I can like work in their lab and, you know, like try some things out. <laughs> did you end up working at the NIC lab anyways, or did you? Um, at UVic, uh, in my last oh, couple sorry. of years. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um, cause I don't think, I don't think the local college has much of a like bio program. No, I, I'm just using yeah. this interchangeably like a oh, okay. island idiot here. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, yeah, so there was a biotech class and that was my intro to biotech and I, I loved it. Uh, it was, it was so it was so application focused and I know like for myself personally, I'm definitely more of like an application oriented scientist and, or that's how my mind works. Cause I love like the problem solving aspect. And for me at the end of my degree doing biotech, 
uh, was like, okay, like this now I, now all of the theory kind of goes together into this very like application problem solving focused method and tool to actually then go out and solve the problems that you like see in front of you in the world. So it was extremely empowering. And I helped start up an IGM team at my university, which is this, um, international genetically engineered machine, uh, competition. Well, that just sounds yeah. scary. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, it's... is it by chance like funded by Monsanto or something? We've got some like. <laughs> you know, I haven't looked too deep into their into their budget. <laughs> I mean, actually, but, it like, probably is. It but... was it was started by MIT as a way to encourage the biotech community in younger students. Um, and I do want to talk about some of the fear around biotechnology because I, I'm serious when I'm like Monsanto did like a great job or whoever in talking about the fears like around biotech, um, some of which are very valid. And I think some of the biggest fears that like are definitely valid would be mainly around like, like, what does it mean to like genetically engineer like a human, you know, yeah. like, like what, what? what are you even doing at that point? Like, what are you trying to solve? And a lot of that does go into health. And then of course there's the parts that are probably less ethical where you're actually engineering for like, yeah. Engineering for yeah. And so I, there are, there like, I, I would say biotech is like any other industry where, you know, there is the altruistic and the amazing and the hopeful side where that's one use of the tool. And then there's the like terrible, terrible side. Um, you know, when you think of like physics, like look at everything around us and the amazing technology that we have today, like just because we know how like electrons work. And then of course there's like the atom bomb where it was horrific, you know? And so I wouldn't, I would say that like with any technology, there is like, it's not good or bad there. It, it's a tool that like we have a choice of how to use. And I think some people use it in ways that are brilliant and inspiring and other people may want to use it in ways that are terrible and something that as that as like part of humanity like we should be ashamed of you know <laughs> so the problem of course of that is everybody thinks what they're doing is great and ethical <laughs> it's usually we get problems when other people start to look at it <laughs> and start finding corpses in their basement well i think one of the problems that we have is like as a as a like nationalistic and capitalistic society where we have research budgets that are being funded by like military initiatives like that is where you get <clears throat> like research that ends up following like a pretty dark path and so i think what we will see in technology is that it really reflects like the values and some of the the challenges that we have as like a global population today where if you have to like protect your borders and you have a technology like at hand, then, you know, like that is just like where we're at, like in our society today. And I don't think it's necessarily like a great place because we have all this amazing tech. And I also think that as like a global community, we're at this incredibly challenging moment where globalization has created, you know, so much um, contact and we don't know how to like be in such close contact with like the whole world at the same time. And there's so many amazing initiatives, you know, that are working to make that better. Um, but yeah, I think with, with the whole like fear around biotech, um, it is really powerful. And I think that the fear 
like, although I would say, you know, we probably shouldn't be as afraid of the lone biohacker as maybe like inherently sounds very scary, but I would say that if you didn't have fear or if you didn't have that sense of caution, then that's actually like a problem. So I, I would say like some fear around all technology and just that level of like holding back and being cautious and really looking at all of the potential possibilities. Like that's a great trait. That's a great trait to have. And, and I think something that should be encouraged more honestly than what you said, like in Silicon Valley, just like going ahead, like I think that's one of the asking big no we're, questions. We're like, missing in today's society is the yeah. whole Jurassic Park line of you didn't <laughs> stop to think whether or not you should make it. No you kidding. just asked if you could. Yeah. And I think there's, especially in the military where they're being pushed because they honestly, some people come to view it as a race of survival for a national identity, especially when yeah. there's war going on and with the whole war on terror being used as a permanent enemy magic boogie boogeyman that never goes away mm-hmm. like i don't think that war is ever going to end <laughs> mm. but like, wouldn't it be amazing to like consider that it could you know um, well what, the thing yeah. is like from a presidential point of view can you imagine <laughs> if some president came out and said all right we've ended the war on terror it's a wrap guys we got them all <laughs> like You're how like, would they well, even what was that even to start with like well that's know? the thing like how do you even begin to wrap that up because it's starting to get to a point like that where we might see that in our lifetime for the war mm-hmm. on drugs but even then government is so reluctant to go back on its own word mm-hmm. that it's almost yeah, politics is a, is is very complex where I think like of course like I as a scientist <laughs> like by trading would be like wouldn't it be amazing where instead of a politician we have like a kind of executive like like board where you have you know people who have really studied and have experience in certain areas would be the kind of like voice of wisdom around some of these choices. And I think you see in governments that have more of that in place, like in Germany, that their responses are more measured, but they've also, you know, have a history of of really learning from some terrible mistakes, you know? Germany so, might not be the best example in that <laughs> yeah, case, yeah, but you as see much it, as we love the Germans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I do agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I but totally understand like what you're saying. Their because... current response to the like, coronavirus has been... Um, I think well regarded in the science community as, you know, very, very measured and very calm and very science based. And they've had some success with that. Um, I don't think that's necessarily perfect. I don't know if any system of government could be perfect, but I think that we can do better, you know? Yeah. Well, the disconnect between the people who make decisions and the people who know what they're doing is so huge, especially at the higher levels or such like the states or even in Canada to maybe a lesser extent, or even if we're being even more cynical, maybe it's not that people don't know what the right answer is, it's that their incentives are wrong, Mm -hmm. which is a huge issue with like campaign finance and stuff. It is really disheartening how many people have clear solutions in the scientific community that are then blatantly ignored or smeared as something they're not just in favor of money or support Mm -hmm. in the case of politics. Yeah, I think there's there's enough examples now where we know that, you know, we have the technology um, to really solve like the most pressing environmental challenges like climate change, like biodiversity loss, like those are all very solvable problems from a technical standpoint, um, but from like a political will standpoint and actually transitioning our economy and our culture to one that is more sustainable, like that's where the holdup is. Um, 
And so I think that's where it's actually almost like a call to action for people who want to see that where, you know, like that's, that's actually why I really wanted to start a business because I saw that as one of the um, most clear paths forward to creating a actual um, change and have some impact. And so earlier um, in my career, I worked at a company and it's a green, uh, like a clean tech company where they do permeable paving. And I was doing some kind of like analytics for them. And we realized that in the course of this business's like work from its inception, that over 2 million square feet of this permeable paving system had been implemented. Like that is real, real like impact. And so with permeable paving, um, I, I could go on and on about permeable paving and why it, it like we need to like rip out concrete roads and put in permeable paving oh my but gosh. basically Don't even like started on concrete yeah like it's such oh, a shame it's the worst even just from the human point of view of like yeah. really this is what our world has come to no kidding and that impermeable nature like it's actually so funny because I feel like concrete and like roads are almost like this like symbol of our like culture right now where we're like ripping apart you know ecosystems and throwing down this like very rigid system that uh, is not designed for like fluidity or adaptation and it's just there and it's almost and it like totally covers up everything yeah kills everything in the way yeah and we're just like especially on the island here we're one of the worst just because of the distance between everything we mm -hmm. live in such like a car centralized oh kind of... that's one metric i really want to know for like the next podcast is exactly how many like miles of road we've laid down that are concrete on our planet because that's like such a scary number like it is. how much of the surface of the earth what percentage yeah. of the surface of the earth is now covered in concrete yeah that's such an upsetting yeah. thing to think about oh yeah <laughs> especially i mean there is some hope there because as much as we lay down concrete there's always ends up being cracks and trees push through yeah. and nature pops up and definitely hopefully more and more but and I think like for me, like concrete, um, you know, there's there's these challenges around climate change that are put out every year by this like initiative called the like climate change collab. And that's done by MIT, too. And they put out these challenges. And one is around building more adaptable ecosystems that will actually like survive and have the capacity to flourish even with climate change. And what we're doing with concrete roads is we're severely limiting, uh, you know, ecosystems ability to adapt um, because not only are you destroying the land underneath, you're also disrupting that like mycelium uh, network that a number of researchers at like UBC, for example, have shown that is how huge, huge like square miles of ecosystems will connect. As I think Paul Stamets connect. put it, it's the wood yeah. wide web. Yeah, exactly. That's one thing I actually can talk uh, to. It's, cool. it's super disheartening how... <laughs> yeah much so many little things that no one would think about like mycelium are just being completely eroded yeah often before we even have a chance to fully understand them like mm -hmm. oh. the wood wide web is so cool though like if you if you haven't heard of that it's worth looking up paul yes. stamets and viewing some of his work i think they did studies i'm probably going to butcher the quote but trees were able to communicate to each other using mycelium and they would actually change the flavor of their leaves to respond to a giraffe eating a nearby tree <laughs> No, like the amount of communication is astounding. Uh, and then what we'll actually will see too. So this was something that 
really struck me when I was taking a course in, it's called like molecular evolution, but you look a lot at population dynamics. And what you'll see is that where you have a well-connected um, and large enough sample group, like a whole ecosystem, you'll actually get evolution kind of going in more of a um, understandable direction, where if there is a positive trait, then that positive trait will be selected for and end up being um, kind of stuck in a, in a population. So let's say you have this huge ecosystem um, that is well-connected, and then there is like a virus that is coming in. If there's one plant in that ecosystem that has a defense mechanism for this, then it will spread and it will become uh, fixed. But if you have really small, disrupted, um, you know, pockets that aren't able to connect, then you actually end up getting way more random uh, evolution and like a trait that's beneficial won't get fixed in a population and you're really reducing uh, kind of adaptation in a way that's actually beneficial um, or in a way that makes sense. So you just get all these like random kind of chaotic uh, little sample pools. And so when you think about that over a whole ecosystem, um, it's, it's actually like, that's one of the things I think about that like keeps me up at night. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like our, our planet is meant to continuously like evolve and adapt and, and, uh, respond. And when we are like cutting that up, uh, we're drastically limiting our planet's almost like innate ability to adapt and respond to change. So like not only are we causing the climate to change, we're also like almost preventing limiting, our yeah, planet from adapting to it. So it's like, it's just this horrible feedback loop that I think we honestly, have a lot though, of. Oh. In, in a twisted sense, that is the earth's own response to us, which is right? we're both <laughs> increasingly like we're in the middle of some sort of dark tunnel and we're it sounds like we're shutting down both sides. Yeah. We're increasingly making things worse while simultaneously <laughs> burning our exit route. So yeah, I think if we're not careful, the earth is going to adapt to us, but we're just not going to be around to see the outcome. For sure. Like that's the path we're on right now. And I think that's why it's like our generation is like, this is the challenge of our generation. Like, how are we actually going to figure this out? And, you know, how can we like make these huge systemic changes that maybe don't make the most like financial sense for the next quarter, you know, but make sense over the next like seven generations. Like, well, that's one thing that I, I totally agree with what you're saying about business being, being a great way to make change just because right now the way our policy is set up, it's so everything's so economic based, mm -hmm. um, just as with the whole legacy of corporations being made a person and all the legal ramifications that have kind of, stem down in our whole crony capitalism and all that mm -hmm. how things are the incentive is so skewed to be set up on a to almost to be serving the corporations more than us and just pure shareholders yeah, even though there's no individual person who's really benefiting from all this like i think even jeff bezos still probably has to deal with the fact that the earth is falling apart no matter <laughs> yeah. how much he can pad his house with money and gold <laughs> or yeah. alexas or whatever he does but when i i see you know like the huge accumulation of wealth like that like if we actually had a a, a really uh working system then we wouldn't see things like that you know that's obviously a flaw in our system that we get huge disparity between the richest and the poorest um it's it, it's really showing i think the the cracks and the flaws in how we have established ourselves and the systems that we have developed like as as humans um if you were to see something like that happening you know in an environment 
like that's a clear sign of a system gone awry. And so, you know, seeing these, like the huge accumulation of wealth and like, you know, shareholder value, um, you know, because someone can have a net worth of that much money, but like, it's not even like cash, you know, it's this like accumulation of like value. Um, it's, it's almost it's, <laughs> accumulation of a momentum. It's like, it's just yeah. rolling down the hill faster and faster. And it's, mm. we've kind of gotten to a point where nobody knows how to pull the brakes anymore. And that's the scariest thing. And this isn't really an original idea, but that I've heard pointed out is mm -hmm. that we've gotten to a point where any individual person in any, pretty much any position of power, you can like, no matter who you think of, like president of the States, whoever can wake up one day and maybe they just like went on some psychedelic trip or something or who knows what happened to them, found Jesus again or whatever it was that <laughs> inspired them and decided that they suddenly care about the earth over profits yeah. and they can throw up their hands and flail as hard as they can and they will be swept out of the system, thrown <laughs> yeah. out of the office by the end of the day, replaced. There'll be a press, rele press release out blaming who knows what, <laughs> swept <laughs> under the rug and before the end of the day, the system will be back moving like normal. I don't think you're wrong. Like, like our system is very entrenched, you know? Um, yeah. And I think, I think that's where, um, honestly putting like one foot in front of the other and finding out the ways in your life that you can have an impact prevents that complete existential crisis that I just kind of felt when you said that. <laughs> I was like, oh I'm sorry shit. if I'm contributing to the <laughs> yeah. depressed activism you syndrome know. that I think so many of us are suffering from these days. Oh like it's yeah. Such a, how could you, if you know what's going on, like how could you not? You I think know? it's a great, we got to add to your impressive bumper sticker collection. There's a great <laughs> yeah. one I've heard about, which is if you aren't outraged, you're not paying attention. Yes. which is so upsettingly true these days it's it like is. you can't open your eyes without being even if you stick your head in the sand you need like <laughs> earplugs and probably yeah. a full like sensory deprivation shank just to miss all the horrible things just wailing at us <laughs> seriously going yeah. on well that's kind of a great segue to i think that's a great way yeah. to end this podcast <laughs> well i wasn't gonna go of that but i was gonna ask you so how like what do you recommend people do if they're interested in getting into biohacking mm -hmm. and even as almost a separate question where do you think like from an individual level what do you think the next steps is for people in terms of making a difference because i think at least for me i really look up to you in that there's so many of us who are no things are bad mm -hmm. we hate the way things are but we're still caught up in the whole like everyone's got nine to five jobs responsibilities and everyone's just caught yeah. up in like our life yeah or their their life like, <laughs> but it ends up feeling like where do you even start to make a difference mm -hmm. and that's a huge question i think it ends up becoming very individual you know for me um this is what i ended up doing because of the interests i have and because of the supports that i've had and i just want to like also acknowledge like my privilege in being able to do this you know like my my parents helped support me through university um you know like it's not like i haven't had like a lot of support to get me here and so i think for people who do have like an outsized amount of privilege that it really becomes almost part of our like work is to use that and so i i don't know i i, I think about that and i take it really seriously because i know that you know, like I have had an amazing opportunities and I want to use that to, 
you know, like somehow like struggle through and, and, and help make the world a little bit better. And I think for everyone who kind of feels the same way where they like want to make a change and are struggling to find like where they fit into that equation. Um, like for me, like getting to this point has really, it's both been responding to my environment and also getting to know myself really well around like who I am and how I want to show up in the world. And so I think there's a really nice, uh, kind of interplay between self-discovery as well as responding to the needs of the world at this, at this current moment. And so some of the things that I did, um, actually uh, probably the most impactful for me and my kind of journey to figure out what I wanted to do was I, I was really sick for a while and I actually couldn't do anything. I basically was just like lying in bed, like kind of sick. And it was during that time that I actually like had the idea <laughs> like for the light wand. And I think it was because I was really still and I was really like in it in terms of um, like that struggle of like your identity and like how you can uh, like make your work, your life actually be worth it or, you know, how you can actually kind of like struggle with that point where, you know, our lives like do put our planet a little bit more like there's more of that caring capacity that we bring. And so I think for me, I was like, uh, if I like, I'm going to make it through this. Like I need to find a way for my life to have, have a value and to make, make things a little better. And I think if people come from that kind of deep, um, underlying kind of like meaning, and then bring that into your own life, whether, you know, you are like running a podcast and like amplifying <laughs> ideas, whether you are, um, you know, starting like a makerspace and supporting people in your community whether you like are a finance person and maybe you work with your bank to support more green initiatives. Um, you know, maybe you're just like at your job and you notice that there's a lot of plastic waste. Maybe you talk to your manager about trying to find something that will produce less plastic. There's, there's so, I think this is that kind of movement where like every tiny step forward is so important. Um, and like it creates a ripple effect. And so like, this is like a terrible long way of trying to get to that <laughs> point where it's like, like who you are, like right now is exactly who we need and, and who you need, you need to be. And I think just like really like diving into like the life that you have is, is the best way. Um, and that's kind of how I got here was just by like kind of figuring out like who I am and what I care about, um, figuring out what I could actually do in the moment and then really, really going after it and not listening to people who are not supportive. So, you know, starting like an eco-friendly glow stick company, like, oh my God, <laughs> the things that people say. <laughs> um, but it's given me like a platform. It's it's given me so much confidence. Um, I now am so inspired by fellow businesses that are working to make way more uh, earth-friendly technologies. And this is just the beginning. And so like, I would say that like just getting on that path, uh, you don't know where it will lead you, but like you just have to kind of trust that, like you'll keep learning and you'll keep growing and that, um, you know, there's people who, who are really on it and are, who will really support you. And um, yeah, like I think if you don't have that around you in your life, then you just need to believe in yourself enough that you like make those connections and reach out. And for me, that was the biggest thing was just never like giving up 
in like myself, you know, and that's kind of cheesy, but like, I would say it that's is, like the biggest thing. It is one of the most thing. cheesiest pieces of advice, yet it still is 100% pure gold. Oh, and it's so annoying. Every, it's the most yeah, frustrating thing to is. hear, but it's what everybody needs to hear and nobody yeah. wants to listen. <laughs> no, because it's, you know, it's one of those things where like you say that and you're like, well, what does that mean? And then that's what you have to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's an awesome place to wrap things up. I don't think we're going to top that anytime soon <laughs> so for those of you out there not sure what to do believe in yourself yeah seriously <laughs> but in all yeah in all seriousness <laughs> and I, I would i really second like reaching out there and, and just asking people for help or just mm -hmm. putting yourself out there and as long as you do it from a place that's genuine and not like a you owe me something or anything mm -hmm. kind of pretentious like that if you just ask hey i'm looking for something like starting a podcast and stuff or organizing other stuff i'm always stunned by how supportive and just the generosity of people are when you just ask. Yeah. It always stuns me Yeah, how far that goes. No, absolutely. And like, I will say this too, is that, you know, all the questions you kind of had at the beginning and around like the startup community, um, I so felt that when I first started because that is maybe the norm, but there are so many pockets of amazing people who are working in sustainable business where the attitude is supportive and where people are looking to support each other. And, you know, it's not stuff you hear about on the news every day, um, like at all. And so I think that's something that the media does that is really harmful for everyone's psyche, where most of the news you hear is really like horrible and degrading and like dehumanizing. Um, and I think that's where like focusing local on things that you can do daily and finding that community ends up being so empowering because like, even though all the problems still exist, like maybe you just have that little bit more energy um, because you know that you have people who support you where you will start to work on on the problem that you decide you want to solve. Um, yeah, so I'd say like it's not all bad. You know, there's there's tons of inspirational, of awesome stuff happening. <laughs> yeah. Good people yeah, out there. For yeah, sure. Awesome. Okay, I'll probably cut things like there. But I do want to ask you a bonus question, which maybe I'll edit okay. in, maybe I won't. But this is just something I wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah. So my, I've been told by my dad, who runs the Makerspace, <laughs> which we're both using the recording studio of, that Paige, and I mean, this is kind of obvious given your business, but obviously you like going to music festivals. Oh, yeah, this question. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I'm assuming you have a taste for dancing and music. Yeah. <laughs> and probably other stuff and all that. <laughs> um, do you have any recommendations for good music festivals in BC? I'm a young person looking to go out and have a good time in the next couple of years. So, yeah, well, as soon as festivals start back up. Oh, um, uh, yeah, that's of course be, the big catch here. Gonna be is making like, the rounds. Assuming that they happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're oh not my all God. just back to. Imagine if that's what kills your business and just shuts all the... I mean, that's one way to shut down the ballistic industry. <laughs> you know what? No, that's like what I thought. Like coronavirus, like that's what honestly. I and then there's actually more glow sticks being used like rec uh, like industrially than I ever thought. Well, there you go. Yeah, so, so at least you I have know. that to fall back on. I was like, on. okay, like, yeah, I we're was, not dead. I was so surprised. <laughs> we, I was like, <laughs> we might be dead though. <laughs> I was so surprised when I read yeah. on your website the military has like buys the most amount of glow sticks like, i know which kind of makes sense when you think about it because yeah. i can see how it'd be there's a lot for like but... emergency like rescue yeah and like uh emergency services yeah but i know i was like i don't want to work with the military <laughs> come on what <laughs> be careful they're yeah. gonna start asking you to put like viruses into your glow sticks and you're gonna like 
No, like, no don't even or... put that idea. See, see, <laughs> if, any military you're, people if you're a creative, this, smart person, somehow. like choose who you work for carefully. <laughs> yeah. Military recruiters, you can find Paige's oh, email God. address on our website. <laughs> uh, she is actively looking to work for any unscrupulous organizations. Uh, who <laughs> long I'll, ago, I'll, like, their force morals. them to be like more moral. Like honestly, like there's. There's just so much, there's so much that could be fixed. This is, okay, aside from that, <laughs> what you just said, which I hope you cut out. <laughs> there was something so awesome that I just heard where it was kind of this like huge organization, which is the BC like auto insurance. And until now it was liability insurance where you were protected if someone sued you. So that means everyone got sued. Billions of dollars were spent in litigation uh, expenses yearly. And everyone's like scared of being hit because then you have to go through this whole court process. Not so to mention they, all the human hours just wasted oh, on yeah. it. Like, like human hours, like people's lives, like their whole lives, you know, dealing with that. And then now it just got switched so that it's um, injury insurance where you actually, if you are injured, you have insurance against like your recovery and like the cost of your recovery, for example. So, you, and then now there's no liability. So... Um, that just cut out like literally billions of dollars of like litigation expenses, hours in court, um, like this whole like fight to get your money after being in an accident. Like now it just is directly if like you're the one who's injured or like your car has been damaged. Um, so just those little switches where it's like, here's this huge kind of like terrible classic like insurance agency. And they made actually a like very common sense switch. And that gave me some hope for yeah, like, Yeah, I think that you know. like, it's a great example though that shows like the power of a single policy change. Yeah, like, I'm like, who did that? I want to find like, out who did exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it only takes a couple people sometimes to lobby it really hard. Yeah. And one, that is the, the kind of the double-handed side of like industry versus policy in terms of change. Yeah. It's like as great as industry can be at pushing new technologies and stuff. Sometimes all you really need is one politician to just push for something. Yeah. And then you can just change so oh, yeah. much across the board. Oh, yeah. Like policy change is huge. So if you if there's a, I would say like strategy wise, if you have a technology that you know is so much better than what is currently available and you want to like figure out how to bring that forward and make it possible, you know, work on the development, get it ready and build your case and then like go for the policy angle <laughs> and that's what's happened with single-use uh plastics you know for plastic bags they're being banned worldwide now yeah. you know and that was a real people's push sadly and coronavirus i think has really put a hamper I on that no but yeah i think hopefully within a year or two we'll be back to yeah where we were before the virus and there's but. actually been now a huge push to figure out um like bioplastics and biodegradable plastics to step in so that um you know for all of the single use like yeah because the amount of things, like gloves and stuff we're going yeah. through right now is absolutely it's, insane yeah it's and masks terrifying. like you know they have a purpose yeah um and so if we can so that's the thing with like kind of material science is like if we can create things that have similar properties but then aren't toxic at the end of the day like that is the biggest win okay yeah festivals <laughs> <laughs> um locally in bc you know, I personally prefer electronic music. I think um, I'm same there. I don't even know. I wasn't even thinking of anything else. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's the only thing I know of. I'm not yeah. a, 
I'm not uh, like a blues kind of guy. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of punk rock, but that's not a festival. That's well, a that's, that, those are the festivals I found that have like the strongest culture. Like there's a culture around, you know, lots of different types of music. Um, I think raves are where it's at. I yeah, gotta say. <laughs> the culture is so great. Like I still remember going to Shambhala. It was like my first like big. Is it pronounced? Is it pronounced like that? I always yeah. assumed it was pronounced Shambhala, but is it? Mm-mm. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How did how did you say it? Uh, Shambhala. Shambhala. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've heard it pronounced many ways, but I know that's kind of the standard. I mean, you've been and I haven't, I have so been. I think you have me there. <laughs> I've been many times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I still remember my like my Whistler, first right? year. It is just aside of Nelson. Okay. Yeah, and I still remember going because I was like very like not music festival person, and then I went. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is amazing. And I remember I feeling all of the layers of myself that like kept me like small and kind of like hidden. Like they, I was just so aware of them because at this festival, people were wearing like the most hilarious costumes and were just, just seemed so happy and free. And at that time I was really like, just like struggling and didn't really know who I was. And going to that festival, I kind of felt this like little shimmer of being able to like relax into like really who I was instead of having to like try and like fit into like wherever I was. And it was such an awesome moment. I, w- I would really like, everyone should experience that kind of feeling like <laughs> at least once, you know, um, it was hugely confidence boosting, even though it was actually like really hard. I remember my first day, I was like, this is a lot, like this is intense. <laughs> and one of my favorite moments, I was like sitting uh, just on this bench, uh, one of the last days and this like person walked by with just like a rubber chicken, like strapped to their back. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just sat back and was like, this is so weird and so funny. And like, where else would that even be a thing? And I just love it. I think it's like a celebration of just humans being like super weird and super random and funny. And, uh, we need that. We need those moments to just be like, life is a wild ride and like you know with all of the problems like i i feel like i almost need festivals to like keep going because it, it's such a it's so fun it's so joyous and it keeps me super like juiced up and like happy <laughs> enough to like keep keep up the good the good fight you know <laughs> shambhala is a funny one i mean i'm sure it's not helped by i think it was one of the famous ones for its everyone's there's love of mushrooms and stuff like i don't think that helps <laughs> well, like, they i can don't, edit that they out don't, if you want they don't to, serve but... alcohol like <laughs> i'll say <Yeah>. that <laughs> no i'm sure that helps with the weird costumes and chickens and everything <laughs> oh yeah oh no everyone like just lets their free flag like really oh, fly yeah. Yeah. Is, so is shambhala i think i'm butchering that still that's but pretty good is that yeah. like is it you say it's in nelson is it in like a forest in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Kind of like. Yeah, it's so cool. It started out as a really small family festival. Yeah. Where there's only a few hundred people and it's just grown and grown and grown. And so they actually own the land that the festival is on. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's how they become so unique. So they don't have to tear down the stages. You know, it's a cow farm the rest of the year. Well, I think that kind of helps explain some <laughs> they <mushrooms>. serve They <laughs> serve the like Schomburgers like on site and it's literally like the cows. <laughs> it's so awesome. It's like hyper low. <laughs> that's kind of hilarious oh, and wow. there's i haven't seen these yet but this is still on my bucket list but apparently 
there has been found bioluminescent mushrooms like in the forest around oh around the festival site. That so fits in so well. I know. I I'm like I'm mad. I haven't seen them, but I will say I haven't. I, I usually spend the nights like partying and dancing. And yeah, then, like, I feel like scoping it's not, out bioluminescent right mushrooms. Like maybe maybe if you were there like early or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say other festivals though, like Base Coast is kind of a smaller one. Like Shambhala is getting really big. I have um, heard it's one of those like, ones that's like it's gotten big up there. Yeah. And Do you think so, it's going like is it gone corporate at all? Like any of the no, they're super anti corporate. EDM ones um, get weird because yeah. as part, often part of it is not yeah. being corporate and gross. Like yeah, especially when all the mushrooms and stuff are involved. I don't <laughs> well, know like, how you. I think that's kind of where up so much. Like there's but... cool brands. You know, like cool brands where like that wouldn't face <laughs> them. You know what I mean? Um, but Trombola specifically doesn't accept any kind of corporate sponsorship. So their event is actually well, that's like a feet and a half right there. Like, oh just yeah. On its own. Oh, it's amazing. And so like they don't have sponsors. Like you don't walk in. You're not inundated with ads. It's all they. They. It's really like cultivated around being. A very like organic experience but it, it, it's huge now um and so last year like i'm i'm now part of this kind of team around the fractal forest stage so i kind of have a little like spot and people i know and it's great because you can like go backstage and well, like that's awesome. <laughs> yeah sounds like i might have to like get you to drag me along <laughs> yeah. to and, like, just because it's so big like it, it's nice to have like your own spot there yeah. like last year i was walking in between stages like at night and honestly felt overwhelmed because it was so busy it was the busiest year i've ever seen uh which was like i was like wow. oh man it's uh, almost starting to sound a little bit like burning man like the way you're describing your own little camps like, that's and what stuff. happens like, you know when things get like known bigger bigger. for being like yeah. so amazing like everyone wants to take part which which is you know like that is so successful but you do start to get this kind of uh i think almost like oh what's the word dilution a little bit of like that feeling yeah. when there's just so many people like you can't kind of slow down and, well i'm into and, like, like snowboarding it. and stuff and you always get that with ski resorts like they always yeah. start off as like the small or even mountain biking any any sport like that they start off mm -hmm. with like a small hub of hippies <laughs> yeah and then <laughs> they do all the work and it just gets better and better and they're drawn there because it's cheap. And yeah. then before long, it's gentrified. And then you're Whistler and your whole town is just oh, being God. taken over. No, but. it's it's a real thing. And so like, I know it's always nice to look out for smaller festivals. Yeah. Um, so you said Base Coast was another smaller one. Yeah. And then there's one. all these like regional Burning Man celebrations, which are like. Oh, that sounds so cool. They're a completely different. Like they're just. Like, I've heard about one in the You can't even call it a festival. Like a because, family friendly one somewhere around yeah, here. Yeah. And there's some of them are family friendly, which yeah. brings like this really kind of lovely, like safe feeling. Yeah. Um, like people still like are totally wild. But... I was going to say, I feel like it'd be more into the less family friendly ones. <laughs> yeah. I'm all for being a little yeah. wild. But... Like it's nice to escape that too. Obviously. Yeah. I, I can see the appeal of both though. Like. Yeah. Yeah, no, and both is so nice. And so, um, like, if, I don't know, people are listening from BC, like, and they're looking for that kind of community, like, the local Burning Man events or, like, just local burns are usually super unique. And people really bring so much effort to these uh, experiences because the whole ethos around those events is that everyone is a participant. Like, you don't just go to watch the music, um, you know, and, like, be in the crowd. Like, you are the attraction. Like, everyone there <laughs> is part of the experience. And so, like, one of the little things that I 
do at these events is I bring these like festival like missions or challenges where I'll like go up to people and be like, do you want like your like a challenge of the day? And <laughs> that's hilarious. then I will like give out these little slips of paper and they're random and hilarious usually. And that's like one of the little things that I do where it's like you're participating, you're like making it um, like kind of an experience for everyone. And lots of people do these like hilarious, um, like random or like sneaky kind of like tricks. And so you'll be like walking along and there was one camp where you went and you got like a fake haircut and they would like, they like would show up like a random picture in front of you. And then like you put your head back to get a massage and they like pour tequila in your mouth. And, like <laughs> I can see that getting wild very fast. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's all so fun. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's, yeah. Um, it's just, it's just all like, like kind of like adults, like, like playtime where you get to like <laughs> put on a costume and like yeah. be a character and like, like discover parts of yourself that like maybe you like don't have an outlet for like day to day, um, which I'm sure everyone like can relate to. You I've know? heard so many good stories of like Burning Man and all the crazy camps, like <laughs> yeah. a postal, I think I can't remember the name, but it's something postal workers camps mm -hmm. and like everyone from it wears sidearms <laughs> just what? in reference to the, well, there's a. Apparently, it used to be a thing, I think less so now, but postal mm -hmm. workers would go crazy and shoot people because oh. the job's just so repetitive. Oh, God. So they used to call that going postal, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. as a joke, all the postal workers from the postal worker camp at Burning Man would carry yeah. sidearms. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. It's like, oh, my yeah. gosh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think the stories that end up making it like through society are the craziest ones. I was going to say, I think it, it definitely gets amplified a little bit. Yeah. Like if you ask a stranger in the street about Burning Man, I think you're going to get a very different <laughs> answer than what we, we might give. But For sure. For sure. Actually, that leads in nicely. There is a virtual Burning Man event happening next yeah. the weekend after next. And so like some people from my team are putting together like a little camp for everyone that's kind of like a bioluminescent wonderland that's and that's awesome. gonna be fun like even though we you know can't go this year it's, yeah it's, it's such something. a bummer for festivals and burning <laughs> yeah. them right now oh but. you know that little meme where it's these like really really cute kids dancing uh like performance and they're wearing these like little bear costumes and one of the kids is like crying and dancing on stage i can't have say you, i've ever heard of that? it but it sounds hilarious okay. we'll have to like, like link it or there's something. just a great meme where it's like uh, people who, like ravers who are on their like 120th live stream of the summer, <laughs> like dancing, <laughs> like crying. <laughs> I think that's where a like, lot of people oh, are at. Like, at this I point. feel bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking we're going to edit. I'll probably edit it somewhere in there because I'm, cool. I'm looking at the time and I'm like, I yeah. <laughs> this has been, yeah. This is like, thank you so much. It was a great interview. This concludes the first episode of the Tristan Rendell Show. Bit of an odd cut there, but that's ended up being the best place to end it. Lesson for next time, don't try and fix everything in post. Huge thanks again to Paige Whitehead of Nyoka Design Labs for coming on the show. Made an amazing first episode, and I cannot be more grateful. So I will be posting links for all of her website, social media, and that kind of stuff in the description, and I encourage all of you to check it out. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.